0: Hey, everyone, it is Monday, and of course, you know what that means. That means we start our expert series of the week, and we always start with Greg Dickerson. How are you doing, sir? Doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, in this episode, uh, we're both going to take out our crystal balls, crystal ball, crystal ball, excuse me, ball. And Crystal uh,
1: air case.
0: Yeah, there you go, crystal airpod case. Thank you for saving me. Um, and we're going to try to look in the future and just take what we, where you're seeing now, and I'll describe mm-hmm. that in a minute our experience of the last 20 or 30 years and take a couple of shots at what tomorrow might look like. Does that that sound like fun? Yeah. So let me paint a picture of what I'm doing now and I'm just not sure where it's going to go. So my model for the last two years, has been buy the junkiest house in the area. Won't qualify. Got to pay cash takes usually 40 to 60% of purchase price in the repair. So it's a heavy lift. Um, and then sell it, then stick a tenant in and then sell it to a landlord, right? We did that 51 times in 20 months. What I had started to see this year is I was leaving money on the table. Uh, I had done a house, a little two bedroom, one bath house, which in my model meant I had to sell it for 160 or less to get the return that my landlord buyers would expect. But in that market, I could have sold it to an owner occupant vacant for 180, Right. So in this example, I'd already stuck the tenant in. I'm a good person. So I'm going to sell it to a landlord and move on. But the next deal I did, I'm going, okay, I've never sold to owner occupants. Let's try it. So I bought a three bedroom, one bath house. And uh, I would have normally sold that for 180. I listed it for 199, not complete, right? Like, oh, by the way, coming soon. You know, these things still need to be done, but here are some early pictures for 199. And we had like, I don't know, 15 showings or something in two days. We had six or seven offers and we finally sold it for 201. Not done. And it's going to an FHA buyer. So A, I'm excited, right? We put an extra 21 grand in our pocket. We'll probably be about 19 grand because we got to do closing cost credits and stuff like that. But still 19 grand. But I look at that going, hmm, are we setting ourselves up for a real estate crash of bad debt from the FHA buyers, right? Cause they come in with three and a half percent down. You and I know it takes 6% of transaction costs to exit. So in a year, in two years, in three years, if we don't get this behind us, could could we have a problem in the future? There's a lot there. I wanted to kind of paint the story I'm seeing because I'm perplexed. And I wanted to ask a guy like you, what, what does that feel like? Feel free to ask me any questions if I've missed something
1: yeah so you know that's that's interesting and and it's happening in a lot of areas obviously there's a lot of retail buyers interest rates are at all-time lows so house values are at all-time highs right now pretty much everywhere now there are pockets you know i've got a, a you know a guy young guy that i'm coaching in north carolina outside of greensboro and you know he did a house in a more rural type of location it was still you know subdivisiony populated not like completely in the sticks mm-hmm. uh but bigger lots one acre lots and you he didn't get that experience. It took him you know, market average days to get the property sold. Mm-hmm. It was probably 30, 45 days mm-hmm. on the market and he didn't have multiple offers. Uh, okay. But some other areas of his town at certain price points were getting mm-hmm. that same scenario. Anything under 200, and that's a price point threshold. Anything yeah. under 200 in most markets like that are getting a lot of competition, getting multiple offers. And you're seeing mm-hmm. that that FHA buyer come in that otherwise would not have been part of the equation a year two years three years ago. So the question is are they going to be in trouble and what happens when they realize that they're underwater? Okay. Interest rates are at all-time lows mm-hmm. in the mortgage industry. They're probably not going to get much lower. I think we're at the bottom. You know, it's all based on the Fed's rate. Sure. Um, you know, interbank rates and they're at zero. So yeah. the, so the mortgage rates really can't go any lower. Right. Okay? They can only go higher. We know what happens, you know, as interest rates go down, house prices and values go up, Mm -hmm. just like a car. The reason a car is 70 to $100,000 now or a truck is because you can finance it for 72 months. Mm. It only used to be able to be financed for 48 months. Interest rates now, the the lower the rate, lower the payment, the more house you can buy. Mm -hmm. Higher the rate, higher the payment, less house you can buy. So what's happening is these FHA buyers were renters. And yeah. now it's cheaper to buy than it is to rent from a monthly payment, including taxes and insurance and maintenance. You're almost like yeah. kind of breaking even there. C- certainly they if you can, move
0: urban to suburbs, certainly. Exactly. That,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're talking about $200,000 house, I mean, you know, what is that mortgage payment after three and a half percent down? You know, 700 a month or something? Yeah,
0: 700, 800. Yeah, it's not much. Nope.
1: Seven 800 bucks a month. So, I mean, that's cheaper than rent in a lot of places. So yeah, that's, that's what's correct. happening and you know they're they're still looking at the borrower they have to have a good job they have to qualify so the underwriting standards compared to 2008 are very different much more stringent Mm -hmm. it's the down payment requirement that's lower so here's the big thing what happened in 08 and 09 was the Mm -hmm. banks were not friendly when the stress was happening and people were getting in trouble absolutely and what was going on was the houses were were you know uh dropping in value significantly, but the interest rates were much higher. So people's payments were much higher. Mm-hmm. You know, They were they were laying out a lot more cash. So they were looking at it from a strategic default standpoint and going, wait a minute, my house is worth half what I paid for it. Yeah. I'm paying exponentially twice as much as I can pay now to go rent or go buy another house somewhere else. Yeah. Let's just walk away. So what's going on now is if they're putting 3% down and they're locking in at a two and a half, 2.75% interest rate for 30 years, mm-hmm. there is no downside. If the mm. house drops in value, it, you know, by 50%, there's, you know, they got to live somewhere. So there's mm. real no downside because they're going to have a principal reduction as they go along. Yeah. So I'm not sure that's going to trigger strategic defaults like it did in the past. And what people's mindset is living in a house mm. that's equivalent to rent where they're not building any equity through principal pay down at all. Right. I'm not sure that the value is a consideration in that equation at that price point.
0: Yeah. So I think you're, I think you're right, right? Again, I'm, I'm just playing with this because again, I'm in the market every day, and that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the reason we do these channels and these interviews is we just, we just talk, right? And we're always kind of putting, trying to put the chessboard together so we can make decisions. So let's finish this, and then I have another topic for you in a minute that just okay. came to me. So let's, so in my mind, right? Let's, so again, I'm thinking about the buyer that's buying this 201k house. You're right. A, that's a three bedroom house. If he was gonna rent it it would probably be 1250 to 1400 So his mm-hmm. payment is lower. When you add taxes, insurance, all of that, it might be break-even. But you're right. Yeah. He, he and his family got to live somewhere. This one is going to be completely remodeled roof to floor, including the garage. Uh, so he, will, he, he would be trading down. He or she would be trading down if they had to lose it. So that's very true. They got to live somewhere. Second, unlike last time, you're right. The banks, A, are more stringent on the inter, meaning saying yes to a loan totally, but also they're more friendly on the pain, right? They're, they're talking early, right? Forbearance and seconds and all this stuff. Very, very true. The other thing, unlike last time is I believe that 30 year loan that this FHA buyer has in a year, two, three years is actually going to be a valuable asset. And what do I mean by that? Let's just say they get in trouble in three years and they're, you know, they got to get out for whatever reason, I believe somebody could come in with a creative offer, right? Subject to existing financing, things of that nature. Yeah. And, and allow them to exit cleaner, probably without a real estate, uh saving on transaction costs and, you know, negotiate some kind of time frame where they have to be refied out or something at a, at a later date. But I think it's going to open up the opportunity for creative financing unlike last mm-hmm. time where prices were falling and interest rates were much higher. There was really no value in the mortgages last time because they were, they were predominantly variable, right? They, they were, you know, five years. Interest
1: only, no doc loans, no income verification, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was a very different game.
0: Yeah, exactly. So do you think there will be value in a 30 year fixed rate mortgage at two and three quarter percent in three years?
1: Yeah, absolutely. From that standpoint, the question is, is there going to be distress from that borrower to even trigger the need to, you know, execute on a subject to or lease option or something like that. So, yeah, just like commercial real estate, you know, a lot of these loans that um, have prepayment penalties, Mm -hmm. if you lock in at a very low interest rate, now that's a very attractive, assumable loan. Because in Mm -hmm. commercial, a lot of loans are assumable. In residential, it used to be like VA loans are assumable. Some FHA product is assumable. So yeah, especially if your loan is assumable and you have a low interest rate like that, that's, that's valuable.
0: Yeah, and again, I think that'll be different than last time because I think rates in three or four or five years are higher and because, um, again, I think, I, as we've said many times, you want to if you want to know when real estate slows down, you tell me what interest rates double and I'll tell you when real estate slows down. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, it's that's it's all trend. about interest
1: rates. And it used to be five percent was a threshold around 0405 was the peak of the market when, you know, when rates got close to five percent, it kind of started slowing down. Mm-hmm. That was our first hiccup in the real estate market back post boom and mm-hmm. boom was 2000s, you know, 2000 mm-hmm. and 2004 or five, that was the peak. Mm. Then we hit a little hiccup because of interest rates and then it opened up. The throttle was open because yeah. wall street created all those derivatives and, yeah. you know, mortgage backed securities and all that. So everybody had an appetite for those things. And then we were off to the races till 0- 08, 09, And it was an unfriendly banking environment. They didn't mm. care. They were foreclosing. There was no forbearance. There was no nothing. Yeah. Now anybody who wants to stay in the house, they're bending over backwards to make that happen. Yeah. So very different environment. The question is, can and when will interest rates rise? And I don't know when. Sure, they can, but can they really? Until we get through this situation we're in right now, the Fed can't really raise the rates because anytime they try to raise rates, yeah. everything tanks, the markets, the real estate, everything.
0: Yeah, I'll put it out there just because I you know, I'm crazy that way. I couldn't, I don't think the 30 year mortgage sees a four on it for the, for the most buyers, right? The rate that's quoted for at least a decade. I just yeah. can't. So and much that's debt the new buyer. threshold. Yeah. It
1: used to be five. Now it's, now four. it's four. Everybody four. thinks four is a, is a max number. And I mean, that's just, that's, that's just crazy, max. right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, anything under 10% used to be a good number when, you know, I got you and I seven
0: and eight. Yeah. My mm-hmm. first deal was seven and an eight. Oh my God. Crazy, but, you know, crazy. It's like
1: gas prices, you know, people get conditioned, you know, for $3 gas or whatever your threshold is in your area. When it gets over that point, their lifestyle changes. Yeah. So in terms of interest rates right now, anything in the threes is good, but now in the twos, I mean, every time it goes low, it conditions people to think and have a yeah. ceiling that they don't want to go beyond. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how, because rates don't have to change a whole lot to get back up into the mid threes and close to four, Yeah. you know, the, the basis, you know. Oh, so, for I sure. Mean,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. But, you know, the Fed has said, you know, we're, we want inflation. We're not going to raise rates. You know, they mm-hmm. want to try to spur inflation. And until you get demand back at the consumer level, you're not going to see any real inflation where it counts. Yeah. Asset inflation isn't real inflation. That doesn't right. count.
0: No, it doesn't count. Absolutely. And I think right now the Fed is far more worried about deflation than inflation. I mean, Mm -hmm. we'll hear what they have to say. Powell will speak Wednesday, the last Fed meeting before the election. So it'll be interesting what he has to say. So the other idea I had for you, and again, I've been playing with this in real time. I was looking for deals over the weekend. So this is in real time. And this is the riddle I'm playing with, right? Affordable housing in my area is a problem, right? There isn't any. And frankly, prices are going up. However, we have a part of town... Just you know what, call it whatever you want. There's a part of town that has older ho- housing stock. Think 1950s. Every house mm-hmm. is different. All on quarter-acre lots or thereabouts, 7,500 to 10,000 square feet. No real parking per se. It's a lot of street parking. Just older, mm-hmm. older neighborhood, right? I would guess right now that that neighborhood is probably 60-40 renters versus owners, and it might even mm-hmm. be 70-30 right? Wow. It's a part of town that landlords like myself, like I actually saw somebody sent me a report one time that said, I'm, I'm number 10 largest owner in that zip code, right? They, sold, they showed the spreadsheet. It was crazy. I was like, I didn't know that. But anyway, so lots of landlords are there. And I am wondering, and you can tell when you drive down the street, right? Like every, like every fifth house has really green grass and then the other four are clearly renters, right? It's just, there are signs that you can see owner versus renter right? I'm wondering, um, because they're smaller, right? They're usually two bedrooms. Some of them are threes. There's even a few ones in that area. It's just an older area. I am wondering, you know, because you could pick up one of those houses today for like 125 to 160. It would probably take 30 to 40 grand to to make them modernize them. But, you know, we could turn that into an owner-occupant neighborhood pretty easily given FHA lending today. I'm wondering, I mean, what do you think about that idea? Because I think landlords, at least in California, are getting pretty stressed with all the regulation and all of that. What do you think about going to older neighborhoods and trying to solve, you know, ownership one house at a time, kind of in those focus, focus areas? The problem I see is it's not new housing, right? It's not the three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage, you know, all of that. It's, you know, it's a 920-square-foot, it's a two-bedroom, one-bath, no garage. But again, the price point's lower. Like a 3 2 brand new in my area now is 400. You could probably sell these for 220. I mean, does that make any sense to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're seeing that happen. So you're talking about from a buy, fix, and, you know, flip standpoint?
0: Yeah. And again, I'm really talking about focusing in on an area, right? You can always find deals outwards. I'm saying, hey, if you want to focus on affordable housing, let's go turn this neighborhood, which is 70, 30 renters versus owners, into 80, 20 the other way by upgrading. I don't know, 50% of the housing stock.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that, you know, that takes an appetite on the part of the owners, you know, the landlords to sell. So number one, you need inventory. So I don't even sure. know what that looks like. You know, is there even any inventory
0: in that area? There's certainly some, but again, you could market to them. There's a lot of nonsense mm-hmm. going on, right? You could go direct. Um, you could also- yeah, target the landlords. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then again, one of the things you've seen with landlords is once somebody starts doing it in an area and profiting, they figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It'll, it'll pull. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, again, I'm playing, this is the, the, the answer I'm seeing is home ownership is good. FHA buyers. Good. Affordable housing is the missing link, right? I don't mm-hmm. think in my market, an affordable house for the average person is 400 grand. So how can I find housing stock and create it for 250? Mm-hmm. That's probably not a new build right in my market anyway. So yeah, how I mean, yeah, that's what I'm trying yeah, to figure town, out.
1: Townhouses. I mean, there's some markets that they can build, you know, at that price point, brand new, but, you know, mostly townhouses. But yeah, I mean, that, that's a great solution. You know, the question is, you know, producing the inventory is the key there. And what is the real demand in that area when, when houses do come up for sale? Yeah. You know, I'm so gonna people are going to want to live there.
0: Yeah. I'm actually going to check that. I, I talk to real estate brokers there all the time. I'm going to ask them about the zip code and, and figure out what, how, how fast stuff is selling.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, from a business model standpoint, so if you're just doing it to create opportunity, that's great. But there's not a lot of money to be made a lot of times at that price point. Yeah. um, Relative to the risk that you have to take. So you have to determine, you know, what what are you willing to do and and how do you make that model work? Uh, And then you could do the, you know, the whole lot of times at that level, a lot of people won't qualify either. You know, so uh, it just it just really depends on your buyer pool. Who wants to be there? What's the opportunity, you know, from a business model, does it work? That's really the problem with affordable housing is you can't get the land at the right price. You can't build, you know, with, with the costs that we see now for new construction. And it's it, a lot of it's the entitlement process, it's proffers, it's taxes, and it's the price point on the land. It's just very, I mean, it, it, you can almost, uh, you know, it's almost impossible to, do, to deliver lots in a subdivision for less than 30, 40 grand anywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, California right it's more like key. 60 grand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. All right, so again, I'm just trying to play this out. Again, the, the beauty of having time is you get to play with interesting riddles, right? Like, these are decisions mm-hmm. I could have never thought about when I was a full-time employee. Now now we get to and I get to test it, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to buy that house. I'm going to try to sell it owner-occupant. I've never done it before. Let's see what happens. Then I have the crazy idea. You know what? The market is so hot. Let's list it unfinished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming soon. God, we got I don't know what it was. A lot of showings and we got a lot of offers. It was
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the whole tale, you know, that a lot of people try to create these buzzwords silver bullets calling whole tale, you know, that's just a retail flip is all that is you buy
0: it. You don't do anything and you resell it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I'm doing something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, it's uh it's just an interesting time. Again, I really, I'm again, I felt great selling the house, but it still raised that red flag. It's like, wow, he's coming in with three and a half percent down. That's about six grand, maybe it's seven mm-hmm. grand. You know, that's top of market for that area. I'm a little concerned it won't appraise because I just bought it, you know, a hundred days ago for 105, right? So yeah. now I've already raised it to 201. So we'll see, um, but yeah. Yeah, now yeah if
1: it doesn't the appraise, they have to put more money down or, you know, you, you have to evaluate that, what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is, is that these buyers, they have to be qualified. So they have oh, to have yeah. reserves. Yeah. You know, they've got to be able to pay the mortgage. Yeah. But, you know, again- it's the same thing they're paying in rent, you know, so, uh, you know, at that price point. So it's, it's an interesting thing and the demand in different areas is very different and and interesting as well. So yeah, that'd be a great business model. I mean, affordable housing is a big issue everywhere and people think of it in terms of new construction. You just can't create it in new construction. So that's taking an older neighborhood and, you know, gentrifying it like that. Well, it's not even really gentrification, just, you know, turning it into more homeowner, uh oriented versus renter you know type orientation i mean that, that's a great model but the key is going to be the supply
0: yeah because again you got to get land because some of these landlords have owned them for decades they probably have zero mm-hmm. loans and they can probably carry them some of the again the housing stock in this zip code because i've owned it there i've owned stuff some stuff there for almost 20 years you can you can really tell that some of them are really slumlords right they've owned them forever they're not updating them it's mm-hmm. just bad and, others and, you care know.
1: Yeah. yeah, some do, some don't. But, you know, then, then you have the issue where, you know, they obviously know what the house would retail for. So, you know, getting those houses is going to be is going to be the interesting thing, whether or not you can actually, you know, find a steady supply.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna play with that some more. Yeah, I'm gonna play with that some more. So let's talk about the other thing we'll kind of close out on is I'm telling people and again, dis- please disagree with me if you, you, you do. Uh, I'm basically telling people the rest of 2020 is going to be painful. We have more sins, more bankruptcies, just more yuck coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, but like you and I talked about, I think it was four, it might've been six weeks ago. And I'm still holding on to this, that the entrepreneur is going to be a saving grace. I think it starts, the positive momentum starts to build early next year. And I think we're in a much, much better space by the end of next year than we are, you know, today as we talk in September. Does that feel like the right thing to you or do you see it entirely differently?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it may take a little longer. So we talked about back when this all started, our conversations in March were, were 18 to 24 months for any kind of real recovery. That was yeah. back in March. Yep. So 18 months puts you at the end of 2021. Yeah. 24 puts you into 2022. That's and true. we are seeing the interesting thing that's happening now and nobody knows, right? So we don't know, the medical professionals don't know. Nobody knows what's this fall and winter gonna look like. But I can tell mm-hmm. you this, if we got a vaccine today, okay? to get the entire population that's willing to take it vaccinated that's the end of next year at best even if you mm-hmm. had it approved done ready mass production today mm-hmm. you know most people aren't going to take it so you need that you know you need the treatment you need that yeah. therapeutics you need you know the ventilator and the death taken off the table where people know if i get out and about and I get COVID, nothing's gonna happen to me. I'm just gonna be sick.
0: Yeah. it be you know? a miserable couple of weeks. That's
1: what needs to happen because I'm out and about and people still are not out in mass. You know, I mean I went to the movies again this weekend. Well, I've been to movies last three weekends in a row since they opened the movie theaters. Yeah. No more than four people in an in entire movie theater. That's wow. it. Wow people still aren't going, you know, so. so
0: why would a movie theater stay open that they've got to be losing money? I mean, right. So like oh, a yeah, restaurant, yeah. it's
1: costing them. Yeah. It's costing them more to stay, to open than it is to stay closed. But I guess they feel like, you know, we got to give it a shot. We got to get back. And you know, they may end up turning around and closing back up going into the fall and winter. Cause that's what we don't know. You know, all of the health professionals are saying we're at a high rate of infection going into the fall and winter. So what is that really going to look like uh. that, you know, That is going to weigh heavily on the minds of people and their behaviors. So, you know, once we do get a vaccine out, we start vaccinating people and, you know, treatments and all that. I mean, you're you're still looking at, you know, this this tsunami that hasn't rolled in yet. Okay, it's still, the tide is still going out. Mm. So that 18 to 24 months from the March timeframe to get back to any kind of real recovery in the retail, you know, consumer-based economy where it counts. I'm not talking about Wall Street. Yeah, Wall Street's a whole differently disconnected, artificial thing that's happening that is not related to the real economy at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doesn't matter what anybody says. Look at the Fed's balance sheet. We talked about that and somebody asked the question, how do I do that? Go to the Federal Reserve's website and their balance sheet's right there. It shows you what they're buying, shows you what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Everything's right there. And as long as they're still buying these things, that tells you there's real trouble out there, okay? When the Fed stops buying, and they stop printing money, then, you know, we're on the path to recovery. So watch what they do. Not what everybody is saying, you know, because these guys that you see on CNBC and Bloomberg and all these channels yeah. telling you that, you know, Hey, the fundamentals are great. These valuations are cheap. Well, they're selling stuff and they're <laughs> exactly. making money. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're, yeah. you know, trying to move markets with their comments and, and, yeah. you know, they are, you know, it's not what's really happening on, on main street. So uh, you know, it's going to take a while for that real recovery in the economy, which is what's keeping interest rates low, what's keeping the ability for people to buy houses and all that. You know, the interesting thing with the housing market is, you know, even in your area, you know, yeah. in, in California with the fires, I mean, there's thousands of homes that have been destroyed. So now there's even less inventory on the market yeah. and more. There's going to be more demand for housing, rental and permanent. Yeah. You know, just just from that alone. So there's continued pressure on that housing market. Uh, continued uncertainty with how do we get to the other side of this virus we're gonna have to learn to live with it yeah. what does that look like and how does that affect people's behavior that's the real thing you have to watch what people are doing whether they're getting back out and engaging in economic activity or not yeah. that's the real path to recovery so I think at this point you know maybe we're limping along by the end of next year back to about a you know 70 80 percent of where we were you know
0: okay do now mm. All right. Okay. So maybe maybe an maybe an extra year, and that makes sense. Um, yeah. Again, more. I, yeah. We we've got more sins to pay for. There was just a gym I saw this morning in New York. I think that just foreclosed or not foreclosed, went to bankruptcy, but they're yeah. staying open, right? Bankruptcy doesn't mean you know liquidation, right? usually means just restructuring debt, maybe some ownership, you know, all of that stuff. So. Yeah.
1: Repositioning assets, restructuring debt. There, there's going to be more and more of that coming the longer this goes. Yeah. Um, and a lot of retailers are just waiting to get through the holidays and then they're going to file in January, February, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, or they're going to close, you know, January, February. And, you know, so we're seeing a lot of that in our area with shopping mall tenants, JC pennies, you know, belt, you know, companies like that, uh, big ones, you know, that, uh, are just limping along right now. So, you know, that's just from the recovery. So you, to your point, yes, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for entrepreneurs in the real estate space and the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the business space, things like that to step in and, you know, reopen these things as the economy comes back. So that will create opportunity as we go along. You know, the question is when, you know, yeah. when are you going to actually be able to take advantage of something and get reopened? You know, that's mm-hmm. the real question because it's all about that consumer demand and, and, and our behavior, you know, as we go through this and, unfortunately, nobody has any new information. You know, yeah. nobody really understands this virus.
0: Yeah. So what I take from the three topics we, t- we did today is single family homes, space is good, suburb living, FHA buyers are still the place to play today. Housing is, h- housing is the hotspot in the economy today, right? It is mm-hmm. the, hey, look, look, everybody look, housing is doing really, really well. It, it typically is only 10% of GDP, it probably will punch above its weight class here shortly. Maybe it's 12, maybe it's 13, but it's not a huge mover. Um, but yeah, I think, I think again, space is good. My area, how, I mean, again, right. A lot of the fire, not a lot, several of the fires are up by Fresno. You're right. They're losing thousands of home and they have to live somewhere. So they're going to yeah. come to the, 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 the proper city proper and be renters or, or owners. So interesting, interesting times, uh, any yeah. closing? We comments? are a
1: consumer-based economy, so that's the thing that everybody needs to keep in mind. Forget yes. Wall Street. Forget yes. what they're doing and saying. Watch Listen, the consumer. We are a consumer-driven, consumer-based economy, uh, so we have to get back to producing and consuming goods in order for real recovery to happen.
0: That's why I keep telling people I only watch two things. One is the consumer and the other is cost of capital because those yeah. are the two variables for me. So, Greg, I want to appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man.